Do you want to have a good Christmas? Some nodding? <clears throat> we did. We had a nice nice family day. Um, somebody just said to me leading up to Christmas, they were in a, maybe somebody said this last Sunday, I don't know, about this lady in the checkout line. She was so exasperated. She said, well, I just can't wait till Christmas is over with. And uh, possibly that <clears throat> is an indication of, uh, you know, what Christmas is to many people in our country and even across the world. But uh, for the believer, it is astoundingly different. I did a lot of thinking about this this past week because, and even leading up to Christmas, um, you know, because of the... You know, we we did a gift exchange as a family, and that was fun, and something the children look forward to. And um, you know, so there's all the shopping and the wrapping and the anticipation and and all of that. And um, and I think that's you know a lot a lot of good food on Christmas Day. Just nice family time. I thought of my mom; she she loved festivities, and. Um, the last Christmas that we had with mom, she was really well. Somebody posted a video on our family uh, chat group of mom the, uh, last Christmas, and uh, it was quite astounding to see what how much difference nine months made. And um, but she she is free today, and. Um, it was good to remember that. I want to read from Isaiah 53. If you would turn there, please. I think every time I preach, I go through kind of a round of uh, well, maybe it's condemnation. You know, you you. I start praying, God, what do you want me to share? What does the church at Cleveland need? What do we need to hear as a body? And um, didn't feel like I could compete very well with the job that Daniel did in 1 Corinthians. I, I really enjoyed that, by the way. I love expository teaching and um, was really inspired by that and had a lot, it was thinking a lot about. First Corinthians and specifically about the gifts of the body and um, and I was praying for the gift of prophecy this week. Paul specifically instructs us that we should ask for the best gifts. And he says that prophecy is pretty much at the top, but not above love. And so uh, I was meditating on that some this week and just asking God for the gift of prophecy so that the, so that the body of Christ be edified. And um, I, I actually don't remember if I was asking God for that gift before or after I was asked to preach this Sunday, but it probably was for sure after. And, um, and, and yesterday, quite frankly, I was struggling. I went on a walk with my wife about 5.30, and my wife asked me, you feel ready to preach? I said, not even close. No, I, don't, I, I really don't have any inspiration. I mean, I had some thoughts, had some 
some things that I've I've been pondering, you know, during the week, and <clears throat> but it it's just nothing. And uh, 7:30 last night, I was getting frustrated, and uh, and I just I you know God just God humbles me like that often. It happens almost every time I'm asked to preach, and you know the devil saying, well, it's because you've had your mind on your work all week, you know. <laughs> You're not paying attention during the week, so what, you know, now you're going <clears> to... <throat> and I, I, God gave me grace to lay that all down, and the Lord took me to Isaiah 53 last night. And uh, it just humbled me and broke my heart. And I want to go there this morning. I, I read through uh, most of the book of Matthew last night and this morning, and <clears throat> just... To, because I wanted to give myself a splash in the face, an overview of the life of Jesus Christ. And as I contrasted Isaiah 53 with, with our celebration of Christmas, it almost felt like a mockery. Um, and, and I'm not bashing the celebration of Christmas. I think the beauty of it is that there is such a broad range of beauty and sorrow in the story of Jesus that is there for us to access all at once. And it's going to take all of eternity to process it. Um, so, that being a, a bit of a personal introduction to what God ministered to me last night and this morning through this scripture, I want to read the entire chapter and then go back and make some observations. And... My prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would be here this morning because nothing that I'm going to say today is going to be new for you as far as anything that you have heard with your ears. You will have heard it in some form or another in your lifetime. But the way that the Holy Spirit will apply it to your life today, the areas in your life that God wants to touch through His Word, might be brand new. Uh, Michael Shirk, I thought a lot about what you said. I believe it was last Sunday. Um, and I'm trying to remember how you said it. The gist of it was that, do I, am I living my life in a way that the world would pity me if my faith would actually turn out to be a sham? Um, or do I live a you know life that makes quite a bit of sense to the world getting it together and so um, I thought about that as I read through Isaiah 53 and I want to remind us as we read through this chapter that when we come to Christ we say yes to Jesus initially Initially, we get born again, and we are baptized into his death. Isaiah 53 is what we're signing up for. We are signing up to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. And as I, was, as I read through Matthew, it just confirmed it. The, whole, the entire life of Jesus Christ was for one specific purpose, and that was to glorify the Father. And so um, 
as, as I read through the account of the birth of Jesus and I rejoiced with the coming of the Messiah and the hope of Israel becoming flesh. And then, you know, the immense joy that that was. I mean, Israel coming out of hundreds of years of just darkness and oppression is almost coming to an apex because of the oppression of the Roman government at that time. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he is born in the most humble way that anyone could be born. In a barn, probably a cave. I'm going to read this first before I get ahead of myself. All right, Isaiah says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he has poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Coming out of the Christmas season, um, especially all the, the, the fairy tale stuff that goes with the American way of celebrating Christmas, I was really just astounded <clears throat> by the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ in these verses. He says, who, who has even believed what we're saying? And you remember the unbelief that permeated the Jewish society in these days that 
made it so hard for them to see past their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was going to look at, look like. And when Jesus came, as lowly as a as a person as lowly as a person could come into this world, and it grips me that the Bible says he was acquainted with grief. It says in verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the songwriter says, Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. He came at a time when I can only imagine that if I'd been living in Israel in those days, uh, it was a time when it almost seemed like redemption was impossible. I mean, here we are. The, the Romans have taken over. The people of Israel have sinned. God's given them into the hands of their enemies. And now we've just had a few hundred years of silence. To the point that even the Jewish spiritual leadership, Jesus said they had become a brood of vipers. They were completely self-serving. They were making laws and rules. And by the way, Jesus said, Jesus told uh, the people he was preaching to in his day, he said, I want you to listen to them. They're sitting in the seat of Moses. Just don't do what they're doing. Because they're binding burdens on you that they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move. And so he said, giving due respect to the leaders of their day, he said, Follow the law. Follow what they're telling you. Just don't do what they're doing. So Jesus came into an extremely barren and parched place spiritually. I had a photo. Oh, Mama Joy, do you remember when we went to get your your car that you have now? We went to get it registered, that little pink flower that was growing out of the asphalt there. Do you remember that? I took a photo of it that day, and I have it saved. I couldn't find it this morning. I know it's somewhere in my pictures, and I wanted to put it up here, but I couldn't find it. So, uh, But we were walking into the DMV, and <clears throat> right at the corner of the building, there's a, there's a block building and an asphalt parking lot. And there was a little crack right at the edge of the asphalt, and this beautiful, what, do you know what kind of flower it was? I don't know my flowers, but it almost like a morning glory type. Flower, beautiful, brilliant pink, <clears throat> was just growing right up out of the asphalt. And um, I think I think of that photo every time that I read this. He he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of a dry ground. <clears throat> he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. Now that that flower had some incredible beauty. This says that Jesus really physically, economically, socially had absolutely nothing going for him. Born in a time when the landscape was about as spiritually barren as you can find it. Worse than godless. Because they were in the midst of a gross representation of God. Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees, 
You can pass land and sea to make one proselyte. When you've made him a proselyte, you've made him twofold more of the child of hell than he was before you ever found him. No, he said, more than, more than yourselves. And that's the spiritual climate that Jesus Christ was born into. Even before Jesus was born, look at what transpired. So, Mary got pregnant out of wedlock by the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever heard such... I mean, it's no wonder that the people that day said, that you've got to be crazy. Now, if they had, if they had been studied up on prophecy and uh, had been accurate about interpreting the Old Testament, I think they, they could have caught it. Some did, and they flatly refused to, uh, to see it. <clears throat> but before Jesus ever came out of the womb, he was covered with the stigma that he, he was born out of wedlock. Pharisees said, well, we're legitimate children. We're not illegitimate like you are. And so before Jesus ever hits the ground here, he's covered with scorn. If we think that we know anything about grief and sorrow, having our feelings hurt, Jesus knew it a thousandfold. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. Do you you know you know when you know something in Spanish there's there's uh there may be more than two. I know there's at least two words for the word know. And it is it is to experientially know or to know something with your head. And um, they will ask you if you know of a certain town, you know by the way that they're asking. It's saber or to know with your head. Or they may ask you if you conocer a certain area, which you don't conocer it unless you've been there. And so it is experiential knowledge. And this is the kind of knowledge that Jesus had of grief. He had experienced it. He was well acquainted. He had been intimate with grief from as long as he could understand Before Jesus had anything to say about this as a little baby, he was being hunted by a king. Isn't that something? A jealous king was hunting him down like a rabbit. And his parents had to run. First, uh, the wise men didn't get back with Herod and let Herod know where he was, and that made Herod furious. Think about the grief. Uh, there's There's a scripture... Uh, in the early part of Matthew, there's a prophecy that was fulfilled after Herod found out that that the wise men mocked him. And he just goes all haywire and crazy. And he said, well, all right, so they said this they said this boy was about so-and-so old, so let's see. Just, I mean, anybody from two years and down, let's just kill him. How many of you have a, have a son that's two years and down? 
How many of you have had a son from two years and down? Most of us. Now think about what would happen if the sheriff's department would show up at your house and say we're taking him. This actually happened. This really happened. On the account of Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Imagine, imagine growing up three, four, five years old and your parents telling you that story. Son, there were thousands of little boys killed because they were looking for you. From the time you could understand anything, you know this about your life. In fact, Simeon the prophet <clears throat> told Mary when at the dedication of Jesus, he said, a sword is going to pierce your own soul because of this child. Your life will never be normal. You've birthed the Messiah. The sword is going to pierce your soul. And he, he also told in that same conversation that Jesus was set for the rise and fall of many in Israel. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And one is from whom men hide their faces. A lot of people didn't want to be associated with him. He was well acquainted with deep, deep grief. The Bible says of, of the prophecy of that slaughter of little boy children, a voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. That was the reality of that of that terrible day when when Herod in his fury and his demonic jealousy commanded all the little boys two years and down to be killed. I mean think of the amount of graves that were in and around the entire region. Fresh graves of little baby boys. It's easy for me to read this stuff and not not really live it, live through it, walk walk myself through it in my imagination. The Bible says, Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we looked at him and said, huh, God's really dealing with him. They thought it was his fault. They thought it was his problem. The Bible says that was my sorrow. He's borne my grief and my sorrow. And I thought, that God was dealing with him. God was dealing with me when Jesus was wounded. 
we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is the reality of it, people. It's not just a neat story. He was being pierced. He was being... He, he was... Even Mary's own soul was being pierced by a sword. Watching her son suffer all that he suffered for the 33 years that he was here. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And we didn't know what was happening. We thought he was just a man with a rough life. Because he put himself out there and... Stood up to the scribes and Pharisees. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. David, do you have peace this morning? I do too. I'm at peace. You have peace, Daniel. Juan, you have peace in your heart this morning. Praise God. And we should. He invites us to come. But what Jesus suffered, he was taking the punishment that was necessary for me to have peace this morning. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Joe, you've been healed, have you not? God is still healing you. It's been a beautiful thing to watch. When Jesus walked this earth, it was for your healing. He says in verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to read the lyrics of this song that we sang earlier. Christ is mine forevermore. In the first verse it says, Mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Remember back in the Garden of, uh, of uh, Eden, God made the man and the woman in complete and perfect fellowship with himself. That, that's We were made that way originally. We were, it's what we were created for. I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings. Somewhere between that line, I was made to walk with him. And yet I look for worldly treasure. That about sums up the human experience as as well as I've ever seen in two sentences. The great gulf that is between those two lines in this song. I was made to walk with him and yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings. That great gulf, the chasm that is there, 
The Bible says, oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've just turned to other things. And the Lord took all of that iniquity, the iniquity of us seeking after other things when Jesus Christ ought to be our one and only affection. He took all of that iniquity and laid it on Jesus. Lamb. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. You get to his crucifixion. Well, I would imagine this started way before his crucifixion. Imagine the schoolboys that made fun of Jesus because... Do you know who your dad is, Jesus? Because we know who ours is. There was a lot more stigma that went with being born out of wedlock then than there is now. Now it's pretty common. And I can imagine Jesus just being quiet and swallowing it. And he didn't get bitter about it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Even the scribes and Pharisees, grown men, spiritual leaders in Israel, they said, well, we're Abraham's children. We don't know where you come from. We weren't born of fornication like you were. That narrative stayed alive probably Jesus' entire life. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Quiet. Took it. It is really hard for me. If I'm accused wrongly not to defend myself, it is hard for me. Maybe it's easier for some of you. By oppression and judgment. Now I got ahead of myself here. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was not taken away by fair trial. He was taken away by oppression and false judgment. Let me rephrase that a little bit. It was false judgment on the surface. At the core, it was righteous judgment. We just didn't know that he was taking our sin. He was actually being judged for my sin. And who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? You see, there were very few people in those days, I think, that really realized what was happening and why. This was not the way they expected the Messiah to come. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Do you remember he was crucified between two thieves? Right up there with in death row. Although he had done absolutely no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth anywhere. He spoke the truth all the time. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The King James says it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to crush him, just pulverize. 
He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That was what Jesus lived for, to see the will of God prosper in his hand, the will of the Father, the will of the Father, the will of the Father. It was what he, what he ate, slept, and breathed. And by faith he saw, through his suffering, the will of God prospering in his hands. And because of that, he endured the shame, the cross. He endured 33 years of ridicule, false narrative. People looking at him sideways because of where he had come from or where they thought he had come from. He endured a lifetime of that. All the happy stories that surround your birth, I'm sure Jesus had some of that. Imagine having to tell your seven-year-old that when he was born, most of the other little boys around his age were killed. Imagine that. was all a part of God making his soul an offering for my sin. And because he saw by faith, Jesus was able to see by faith what God was doing with his life. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When he makes his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He could see in the future the offspring that was going to come through his suffering, that many were going to be born into the kingdom of God. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. When he was there in Gethsemane, fighting with the prospect of the cross, fighting with the prospect of drinking that cup, and it was before him, and he said, Not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I'd rather... If there's any way there's any way this cup can pass for me if this can be done any other way please but by faith he saw the will of his father prospering in his hand through his willingness to drink sin for us Verse 11, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Can you say praise the Lord if you've been accounted righteous today? Praise the Lord. Come on, say it with me. Praise the Lord. If God looks at you today and you are a righteous person in the eyes of God, it's because of Jesus and what he went through for you. It's because that out of the anguish of his soul, he said, I'll endure this. This will satisfy the Father. 
If you have peace today, it's because the righteous servant of God justified you. Therefore, it says in verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Did you know he's still doing that today? His entire life was a life of intercession for transgressors, standing between a holy God and people that were absolutely despicable. I mean, you read through the account of the Gospels and just simply the way he was treated, simply from a human perspective, was despicable. And they didn't know that he was standing there interceding for them. And it wasn't just them, it was us, it was me. I had done the same thing if I had been alive. I have done the same thing in my lifetime. The Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, this is him. This is the story of his earthly journey here. You know, I grapple with it. Christmas is a happy time, and I think it should be. It's, it, it really is glorious. You think of the angels <clears throat> that came and proclaimed. I mean, imagine being out there and being a shepherd. It was you know, it's probably cold up there in the mountains and they're up there watching these sheep. And just all at once there's a big old light come out of the sky. I mean, you, I don't know what they thought was happening. And the great joy that filled them when they realized that their Messiah had come. But it was going to be a little different than they thought. And so it, amid all the joy, the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Even though he absolutely despised the shame of it, he endured it. And the moment when he died, when he says, Father, it's finished, I'm commending my spirit into your hands. The redemption for mankind is done. It's paid for. The pleasure of the Lord has prospered. The the pleasure of the Lord is prospering in my hand right now. I'm commending my spirit back to you. It's done. Isaiah had prophesied years earlier. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness. make, Make many to be accounted righteous. The Bible says that Jesus Christ who knew no sin. I mean, he was not acquainted with sin in the sense that he knew what it was like to be guilty. He knew no sin. But when he drank the cup for us, he became sin for us. So that we, in turn, would literally, not just figuratively, literally become the righteousness of God. And when you stand before God, if you die tonight or tomorrow or or whenever... If Jesus would return tonight and we have the privilege of standing before God and we can 
see him face to face, it's because of Jesus. And my heart was really overwhelmed when I when I considered <clears throat> the beauty and the tragedy that was the life of Jesus. Tragedy on a human level and beauty on a spiritual level is just completely unmatched. When Jesus was here, he said, in Matthew 20, <clears throat> he said, even as the son of, he was instructing the disciples that they shouldn't be striving for greatness. And he said, the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, as, as we relate to each other, those who want to be great. I don't know if there's a lot of you that want to be great. I'm not sure. I mean, in some level, on a fleshy level, we all want to be great. <clears throat> it's okay to want to be great, I think. But we have to be great in the way that Jesus was. He said, whoever wants to be great, let him become a servant of all. You want to be great in your family? Learn how to serve. You want to be great in your church? Learn how to serve. <clears throat> Hebrews says that we have a high priest who is touched. He is affected every day with the feeling of our sickness, our infirmities, our limitations. He is affected by those things. Jesus has not stayed in a place of grief. Jesus rose. We know the historical account that Jesus rose from the dead. And he is now seated with glory at the right hand of the Father. And someday we're going to see him return <clears throat> like he went after he was raised from the dead. We're going to see him return in glory and power and majesty. And I think that the, I think that the scope of his majesty is going to be more than anything we've ever seen. To see him in meekness and humility and brokenness, voluntarily being crushed for my sin, to seeing him come, the absolute authority over the entire universe. At his name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue, the most avid atheist, is going to use his tongue to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's going to glorify God the Father. That's how we're going to see him come back. So celebrate on this year and God bless you.